This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Even though things don't always feel good, even though things don't always go their way, even though it seems as though the world is against them, the king says that they are blessed. And then he lets them know that if you're citizens of the kingdom, you're the salt of the earth. Don't lose your savor. If you're citizens of the kingdom, you're the light of the world. Shine. Live out loud. Let people see who you are and who set you there. See, because remember, he set us. And so before we get so disturbed and want to move, let's make sure that we are patiently looking to give God the fruit that he's looking for, being the salt of this earth and the light of the world. And then we came to verse 17. And this starts a, a section of the Sermon on the Mount that I call the place of the law. Okay, And we see, we saw that it took a shift. So he gets through with the assessment. Now he starts to address something a little bit different. And remember, in all of this, he's teaching the kingdom of heaven. Never forget that. He's teaching the kingdom of heaven. Now, in verse 17, as we quickly review through this, he says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So Jesus makes it plain. Remember, uh, he gets a lot of flack from the religious leaders of that day because he does not flow with their traditions. And when he does not flow with their traditions, he's seen as a rebel. But he sets the record straight concerning him and the law. I didn't come to undo the law. I didn't come to undo the law at all. I came to fulfill it. And what, is, what does he mean by when he says he's going to fulfill it? He's fulfilling it. He's bringing it to its fullest meaning. Through explanation and demonstration. Because there are things that they had wrong concerning the law. We'll call it the law of Moses. It really was the law of God <laughs> given to them by Moses. So he says, think not that I came... To destroy the law or the prophets, I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You see what he's given us concerning the law? See, the subject now is the law. You see that? He's saying, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill. So you can't use me as an excuse to not do what the law of Moses has given you to do. You catch that? So he's making this plain. He's making it plain to us that the law is good. The law is good. And he has not come to undo it. He has come to bring it to its fullest meaning. And he says, now, if somebody teaches anyone to, to uh, uh, break the commandments, they're least in the kingdom. Uh, which explains his next statement. Now, he's dealing with the teachers. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness 
shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. You see the subject there? The kingdom of heaven. And now he's dealing with the law with respect to the kingdom of heaven. And he's letting them know that the law is good. But you won't enter in to the kingdom of heaven by how the scribes and Pharisees keep the law. And he moves from the law and he talks about righteousness. See, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case, I like that term, in no case, you can't make a legal case that God will accept if your righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. You shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So he calls out the scribes and the Pharisees. He says that their manner of life, their standard of righteousness, is rejected by the king. So the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees is used as a weak barometer. Do not use these as your example. That's quite the statement. You can understand them being a little bit mad at the Lord. So he calls them out, and he's not ashamed to call them by name. Not afraid of it at all. Otherwise, all honesty, he's the king, so why should he be? But make sure you understand. Our righteousness is no good either. Amen. Don't think this is exclusive to the scribes and Pharisees. And I want you to know they were wrong and they were to be blamed. But what about you? While accusing them, standing up there as a witness, that's right, Lord. Their righteousness is no good. What about your righteousness? While accusing them, are you also accusing yourself before the king? Because it comes down to all this. We're all guilty. That's why none of our righteousness is accepted before him. Our righteousness is no good. His righteousness is required. So these are the two statements I want to make sure that you grasp in this section of teaching. The bottom line is the law is the righteous standard of God and you are guilty. And so Jesus, the king, is identifying for us that the order of the kingdom is not the law but righteousness. Those two statements are powerful. Those two statements are outstanding. Because what you'll find is that when you see the law, you're guilty. But thank God that the order of the kingdom is not the law. Then would none of us enter in. But it's righteousness. And remember, it is with the heart man believes unto righteousness. It's not the keeping of the law. It is the heart. So when he says they are blessed, he's talking about those whose hearts are toward him. They're not blessed by the deeds of the law. They're blessed by the heart of belief. It is not how they maintain the law wherein they are the salt of this earth. 
It is not how they maintain the law that they are the light of this world. It is by their standing in faith unto righteousness. And what we find here, as we enter to verse 21, is that what happened was that the scribes and the Pharisees had taken the law of Moses and took it to another level, but in the wrong direction. They took the law of Moses and said, okay, this is how we're going to appropriate the law of Moses. And they, they, they came up with an intricate... It's like when you, when you try to go... You know, we have the Constitution and all these amendments, but then when you look at all the laws we have, that's what had happened. That's what it becomes. So they had all of these, you know, section this, article that, line this. And this is what they were supposed to do to keep it. And so what happened, what was going on is that people were using the law to say, look, I fulfilled the law. But yet their heart wasn't right. And so they had a covering legally so that so they could. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I like how he said in no case. So what they would come with, if he hadn't set things straight, what they would come with was see how I kept this article. How I kept this section. And you've got to accept it. But he says you have no case by that to enter into the kingdom of heaven. See, because the Pharisees made their boast in how they kept the law. Keep your ribbon there in Matthew chapter 5. Turn to Romans chapter 3. Now, I am going to get through verse 32 today. Watch me. <laughs> Romans. I'm going to speak like Paul did. Says I, not the Lord. <laughs> I'm going to get through verse 32. What did I tell you to turn Romans? Okay, I'm not in Romans. I turned somewhere else. Romans chapter 3. Let's start at verse number 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, why? That every mouth may be stopped. And all the world may become guilty before God. I want you to understand that. That when the law is presented, you don't have a case to say, I'm free by the law. I'm innocent by the law. I have a way into the kingdom by the law. No, when the law is given, it is so mouths might stop. And all the world may become guilty before God. That means you. That means me. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in the king's sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's what the law is good for. See, now we're seeing the place of the law. The law is good to show sin and to stop mouths. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Oh, I could spend some time here. I love, I love how Paul sets this up. And I'll say this much. What in the world does he mean by the righteousness of God without the law is manifested by the law and the prophets? If nothing else, we snuck this in when we talked about the salt. Remember we talked about Abraham and how that example of Abraham standing before the Lord on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah, how that was an example of the salt, 
how it showed how important salt was, and then the devastation when the salt has lost its savor, because that region went down. But remember, he stood before God and said, now, 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 shall not the judge of all the earth do what's right? What if there are 50 righteous? And we stopped there, and I did that on purpose, and we asked the question, now, who's righteous? I thought, none are righteous. But Abraham had already found in prior chapters that when God spoke, he believed, and it was counted to him for righteousness. So Abraham, who's before the law, but counted among, in Genesis, the law and the prophets, he witnesses to us that there is righteousness without the deeds of the law. So, them taking pride in the law missed what Abraham had established, or God established through Abraham before the law. That the law is not what brings righteousness. It's the heart of belief. Verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all I have, you have, no matter what your name. For all have sinned and we all came short of the glory of God. Being justified, not because you deserve it. Not because you paid the price. Being justified freely by His grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, as he, now this is after the Sermon on the Mount, well after. But Jesus knows what's coming. When the king gives this declaration in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 24 again. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. Don't get worried about that word. It's a big word. All it means is he fully satisfied. God. For what we owed. Whom God had set forth to be a propitiation through faith. Through faith in his blood. To declare his righteousness, not ours. For the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness. Not yours. Not mine. Not the scribes. Not the Pharisees, but his righteousness. That he might be just. And the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So scribes and Pharisees, where is boasting then? It is excluded. Church of living water, where is your boasting? I made every Sunday service. Where is your boasting? Because that won't get you a case to enter to the kingdom. I took the best notes. That's no case to enter. I said hello every time. That's not how you make the case. But did you believe into righteousness? Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? No. But by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. You know where Paul got this from, right? Got it from the Lord. And so as we study, back to Matthew chapter 5, <laughs> the place of the law, it only makes sense that this goes with it. Because Paul received it from the Spirit of Christ. 
Now, Matthew 5, verse 21. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. We talked about this. I want to make sure you understood. When he talks about you've heard them of old time, he's talking about their oral law. This is that intricate web of articles and what you shall do at what time and how long, why you should wash your hands before you eat. All that was included in their oral law and it had become their legal constraints. And so they, when they heard him, knew what he was talking about. And it starts with the law of Moses, but they took it in a different direction. So according to the letter of the law. Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. And reminding you, when he talks about judgment here, he's talking about man's jurisdiction. So according to the law, according to their legal constraints, according to the oral law, if you kill, you are in danger of man's jurisdiction. But I say unto you, when he says, I say unto you, he says, I'm bringing you revelation because you went in the wrong direction. Because someone will say, and they'll make a case to enter to the kingdom of heaven, I never killed anybody king. But he wants to make sure we understand the place of the law. You can't come in by the deeds of the law. So I'm going to give you further revelation. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. What do you mean by that? What do you mean? He said, he's saying that now you don't get to killing without something happening in place or taking place first. And you think the final act is what disqualifies you. No, it's what leads you to the final act. That's the problem. Oh, do you get this? Why was the law given? That every mouth might be stopped. And all the world might become guilty before God. He's saying, you're not innocent. Again, I, I know people are shouting at that. They can't, they can't contain themselves because that's such good. No, this is the truth. Again, this is why I love this. The Sermon on the Mount gives us an example of how churches that only preach you're right with God are wrong. Only preach that God loves you without any conviction, they've missed it. If there's no conviction, why do I need a Savior? But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother... Raka shall be in danger of the council. Again, that's a word that has no English equivalent. They kept it the same. Which means we can't... The word means empty-headed. But obviously it's, it carried a different weight than just saying empty-headed. When we say empty-headed, we don't think anything about it. But obviously this was a, a most vicious word. A, a very angry, very wrathful Injurious word. And so they included in their oral law that if you say that, then you're in danger of man's jurisdiction. So whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka shall be in danger of the council. That council is believed to be the Sanhedrin. So again, he's talking directly about man's jurisdiction. So according to the letter of the law, if you use that term, if you throw that term at somebody, you need to be brought before the council. But, again, I'm going to bring you further revelation of this. Whosoever shall say, thou fool, 
So obviously thou fool is, doesn't carry as much weight as Raka. But he says, if you even say, thou fool, you're in danger not of man's jurisdiction. You're in danger of hell fire. You see what he's saying? He's saying that now, there's a jurisdiction in man, and it's by the law. But in all honesty, the law is given so you can become guilty before God. So you may not have killed anybody, but you held a wrong thought about that person in your heart. And if you're going to kill somebody, it's got to start with that seed. And you had it in you. You're not innocent. You're guilty. I thought this was supposed to make me feel good. Now, now, now just, 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 just wait. <laughs> just wait, but he's sending it straight. He's making sure that people have the truth. He's not preaching a feel-good message. He's preaching the truth concerning the kingdom of heaven. And he's talking to people in particular. You know who he's talking to, right? He's talking to those who follow him, those who are believers in him. Now, many other people heard him. And you know, those who want to please him, they want to know what pleases him. Verse 23, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there remembers that thy brother hath ought against thee, you may not have killed according to the letter of the law, but you have not done right before God. Wow. I wonder how many offerings were left after he taught this. Because what had been happening was they felt good that according to the letter of the law, I'm innocent. But Jesus is saying, the king is saying, that's not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is not that you get out innocent and are justified by the law. The purpose of the law is to show you how deep sin runs. And it's in you. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. So he says, now, if you go to the altar. And I, again, I don't believe this means that if you and your brother are in a heated argument. Definitely it includes that. But I believe it's when you've done something that you shouldn't have done, and your brother may not even care. Why? Because you're still guilty. Whether they hold it against you or not, before God, that's not right. And you want to make it right. You shouldn't feel good about coming to God. This is what I'm telling you. you know, we've got churches full of, full of people who live according to the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. They come in and they lift their hands, but they're nasty people, even though they haven't broken the law. And they think God ought to accept them as they come with that wrong heart, with those wrong attitudes. And it doesn't hurt their heart. Again, remember who he's ministering to. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Those who are poor in spirit hear this and they're injured to the heart. Oh, I can't, I can't live that way. I've got to make this right before God. And then they go to their brother, brother, like, I didn't have anything against you. He's like, no, yeah, yeah, but it's not about you. Didn't we just hear that song? <laughs> Who's it all about? So it's not about you. See, I want to have a right heart before him. Verse 25. 
agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. So he's talking about man's jurisdiction again. Verse 26, Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. And again, I want to remind you, I told you this, and I want to make sure you understand, this is simply an example that he's using when he's talking about giving an occasion to the adversary. Okay? He is referencing civil law to get you to see that you're not getting away with wrong before men. Do you hear me? You're not getting away with wrong before men. How much more are you expecting to get away with anything before God? Oh, uh, it, it. <laughs> so he's using, again, I, I want to make sure you understand, he is not trying to enter into civil law and trying to jurisdict what goes on on the earth. He is dealing with the standard of righteousness. So here you are, you've done this, you've had a wrong heart before God, you're not guilty before men. Well, God sees that. How do you feel good just going on as though everything is right between you and God when, according to man's jurisdiction, if you violate their law, they're going to get you. You're going to pay. You're not going to get away with that. How much more should you expect that when your heart condemns you, you need to make that right before God? This is not saying, this is very important to say, this is not saying let someone do you wrong. See, so some people will read this and while they are in the way with him, let's at any time the adversary deliver these to the judge. Like, well, what you mean if they, if they falsely accuse me of something? Let, no, that's not what he's talking about. You know, you know, someone commits fraud against you, they steal your credit card. He's, saying, he's not saying let them have it. It is saying to you that you do not give them a wrong to hold against you. Agree with them while you're in the way. What's the point? The point is to direct us toward meekness instead of defending ourselves to a fault. You know, sometimes it's just that sometimes we get caught up with things that really don't even matter, but we're going to carry it through. Just to teach them a lesson. <laughs> Just because I want to show them I'm right. And in all honesty, there's some things you can let go. But you want to be justified rather than settle. So when it talks about your adversary, your adversary is either someone you have a disagreement or dispute with, or your adversary is someone who has a case against you where you gave them something that you did wrong. You know, it's sad, but you've got to say these things in the church. Again, he's not talking about a brother saying your adversary. Someone you have a dispute with. Someone you have a contract with. Someone you have a disagreement when it comes to a contract with. Or maybe you broke a contract. Hallelujah. Glory to your name, God. You know that was your bill you made. Was that hallelujah? Glory to God. Preach, brother, preach. You know you made that bill. And now the bill collector's calling. Agree with them. 
while you're in the way? Because God's not intervening when they come after you for not paying. Honor your contracts. Honor your word. Treat your adversary fairly. <laughs> Maybe some people can relate, relate to this. What if your adversary shared custody of your child with you? So you have an agreement of shared custody. And I'm going to tell you right now, let's play this role. Let's say here you are, you're the mother, you've got shared custody with the father. You're supposed to have them at certain times of the year. Um, well, if you're the father, take them at those times of the year, citizens of the kingdom. Hallelujah. Citizens of the kingdom can't be deadbeat dads, can they? And mother, when it's his time to have them, let him have them. See, because what happens when the police come after you, you can call the pastor if you want to. Uh, here's the... Verse 26, Very last saying to thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. <laughs> Amen. And here it is. He's supposed to pay alimony. Don't let him get away with that. If he's not paying alimony, that's not what Jesus is saying. You, grab, you understand me. He's saying you do right in your contracts. You do fair in your contracts. Well, they weren't right. They shouldn't be staying with this other individual. That's not their mama. You know, <laughs> you under your contract. Amen. Let's see, because I, I want you to understand this. Even though he's used this as an example so we can see that you're not getting away with it before man. You're not going to get away with it before God. I want to make sure you understand we should not have kingdom citizens having people putting out restraining orders to keep them away from them. It, sh it shouldn't be the case. Yeah. Hallelujah. Here you got all these tickets that ain't paid a one. And when they come and get you, you know, you call the church. We may not even answer. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I know they didn't. No, because that's not righteous living. So using this as an example, agree with thine adversary. Because if you don't, and if you're wrong, and they come and get you, you're going to pay. It is also referring to the finality of man's judgment. Then how much more with God will you not get away when you are wrong? You understand that. So don't walk away here saying that God said I should let them get away with me, uh, with murder with me. No, that's not what he's saying. He's dealing with you and your righteousness. Verse 27. Amen. You have heard that it was said 
by them of old time. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Wow. I'm sorry, was that strong? Was that strong to somebody? It ought to be strong to somebody. Here's my imagination. You know, my imagination runs wild sometimes. So here, here it is. I am convinced there are scribes and Pharisees in the crowd. They're keeping an eye on this one. Because he's stirring up the people and they may not keep our ways. So here they are. And he, and he, he are, has already directed, unless your righteousness exceeds their righteousness, you gonna, you're not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, now according to their law, they're going to accuse you if you commit adultery. But these jokers look at women. Woo! That's that old, that's that old church. Woo! These jokers look at women. So they haven't violated the letter of the law, but they're legal. Legally guilty before God. Legally innocent before their oral traditions. And they miss the place of the law. They use the law as a cover to say, well, technically, and by the letter... I haven't committed adultery. But you're womanizing. But I say unto you, see when he says, but I say unto you, you got the law wrong. You missed the point. You got letter, you have no spirit. So let me give you the spirit. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Did, did you hear him? You're already you already did it. Your mind went there. You already did it. You can't go back and make it right. Don't you hear the law working? Mouths are stopping. People in the world are becoming guilty before God. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So he lets us know the problem in the heart comes before the final action. It's not the action that makes you wrong. It's that sin in the heart. So the adulterous act begins with the defiled heart. Which starts even with the wrong kind of look towards a person. And let me tell you, there's a difference in an unexpected glance. Like, oh, I didn't expect to see that. Well, I'm, you know. And... Oh, let me read this again. I like how it says in verse 28. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after. There's a difference in an unexpected glance and lusting after. <laughs> and I'll, hey, I will tell you right now, people don't dress modestly all the time. They want people to see stuff that a lot of us don't want to see. But some of us do. And when we get that unexpected glance, it turns into lust after. And the eye stays where it shouldn't stay. 
You've already committed. Well, I didn't do I didn't sleep with you already committed. Listen to this. It's not so much about the look. It's more so where your mind and heart goes. Amen. Glory to your name. It reveals the deepness of sin. Now, we won't go there, but we saw in Romans chapter 3 last time that the purpose was that sin might be exceedingly sinful. And that's what he's doing. He's saying the place of the law, people, is not that you can be justified by the law, but that you're guilty. Verse 29 says, And if thy right eye offend thee, if you just got to look, if you just got to look, pluck that eye out and cast it from thee. <laughs> I'm sorry. Here's my imagination again. Jesus is like, get that eye and throw it away. You don't want that. Who's he talking to? People who are believers unto righteousness. It's not going to appeal to the sinner who wants to keep sinning. He's talking, he's talking to people who want to please him, blessed people. The salt of the earth, the light of the world. You ought to be mad. He's saying you ought to be mad at anything that gets you to act in sin. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish. And not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. The idea is the kingdom is worth the sacrifice. This is an example he is not telling you to self-mutilate. You know, and again, you've got to say these things. Because people have some strange practices. They will cut themselves. They will hurt themselves because they think that they've violated uh, what pleases God. And in all honesty, yeah, you ought to mourn. But that's, he's not, that's not the instructions given. It is better to enter into life and miss out. Do you hear me? Some things it's alright to miss out on if it's going to keep you from entering into life. So you'd rather have life and miss out than death and I enjoyed it. Whoo! I'm sorry, but, but is, this not, is this not ministering to y'all? You'd rather have life and miss out than death and I got to enjoy that. And that's all the enjoyment you get. That is your reward. And how much enjoyment, you know, yeah, don't go there. Let me keep moving forward. <laughs> how much enjoyment is that? Not that much. Not that much at all. The same person you lusted after, the same person that makes you mad at this day. That's for somebody. But you just had to have it. And you got it. Now, you know, some people who are wise are saying, you know what? Young one, it's better to miss out sometimes. I wonder what I'm missing. It's all right to miss out sometimes. Well, what is it like? Sometimes you just need to go with what you know and leave everything else alone. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. Cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into 
hell. Again, here he goes, and like, you're worried about committing adultery and being brought before man's jurisdiction. You've already committed adultery, and man doesn't know, and you're going to go to hell. What do you want? You're not worried about what, man's, what man thinks. You're worried about how to please the living God. You see, what he's saying is that when that day comes, he's not going to ask everybody, how were they? Well, before us, king, they were all right. And the king is going to say, but you know what? This is not a judge by jury. <laughs> they don't get that option. I get to judge because I've seen it all. I not only saw what they did, I was privy to their thoughts. I was privy to their motives. I was privy to the movies that they made in their minds. Verse 30. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Wow, again, it amazes me. He talks about the look and the touch. Now, there are differences in touches. And again, he's like, well, yeah, I got two people and they gave the same touch, but your touch was different. Well, but I didn't, yeah, you didn't finish that act, but the sin was there. Again, he's not telling you to self-mutilate. <laughs> Or amputate. He's saying the kingdom is worth the sacrifice. So here it is. You say you can't help yourself. <laughs> wow. Now we're not going to go here, but write down First Thessalonians 4, 1 through 5. It tells us that we should know how to possess our vessels in sanctification and in honor. Why? Because righteousness demands sanctification. And what is sanctification? First Thessalonians lets you know. We're talking about abstain from fornication. And you know what fornication is. You know, that's one of those words that, what is fornication? You know what fornication is. Those of you who can understand, you know what fornication is. Righteousness demands sanctification. Abstaining from fornication. Fornication. So righteousness calling for sanctification. And sanctification begins with guarding your heart. Proverbs 4, verse 23 lets us know, keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it flow the issues of life. So what you allow into your heart is why you do what you do. What you allow into your heart is why you do what you do. Oh, they were smooth talking. Oh, what you allowed into your heart is why you do what you do. Well, their game was pretty... No, no, what you allowed into your heart is why you do what you do. So sex outside of marriage and all fornication starts well before that nasty sexually illicit act. I said nasty. That's the attitude you ought to have towards it. So before you get in bed, 
or whatever it is you do, that's nasty. Sex outside of marriage starts well before that nasty, illicit act. And I want you to understand, it takes time to set up the heart for the things you do. We have a saying, a one-night stand. Well, that one night began a long time before by the things you allowed into your heart. So you say you can't help yourself. You got a heart problem. Again, it is revealing the deepness of sin. I, I mean, I mean, I haven't heard nobody. I just looked. That sin is deep. What can wash away my sin? Though my sins be as scarlet. Listen to this. We gotta get through this quickly. What goes into your heart comes from you might not be able to take notes, I'm just gonna run. Your trusted counsel. So the question is, who do you trust for counsel? Do you trust your church? If you don't trust your church's counsel, why are you there? I trust my church's counsel, then why don't you take it? Your closest friends. Do you have close friends that are committed to righteousness? I'm sorry. Are your closest friends committed to righteousness? I want you to know, yes, 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 yes. Birds of a feather, they do flock together. I just haven't found the scripture yet. Yeah, I have. Evil communications. (laughs) Corrupt good manners. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, it's just them. No, 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 no. You run together with them because you're of the same mindset. We're talking about your trusted counsel. How do you value your parents' counsel? Glory to you. I'm telling you, parents are good. Godly parents are good. But even those who aren't godly parents, they try to keep you away from this stuff. Because they know how bad it is. They know the damage it does. But here you are, you got godly parents, and you are disdaining their counsel. See, you want something else in that heart. And then after you commit the act you said you would never do, I want you to know it started well before that act took place. And you've got to consider your ways. You've got to consider who has been your counsel. Who have you trusted? Who have you given ear to? We're talking about the things that go into your heart. The music you meditate on. Hallelujah. Glory to your name. It's just music. No, it's not just music. It doesn't mean, no, it is conditioning your heart. It's the setup. Setting you up. And again, what happens, you've got counsel telling you you need to put that music away. But you're like, no, it's just music. You know something, don't you? You don't know anything at all. The things you read. The things you watch. 
Today that means what's on your phone. What's on your pad? What's on your computer? Obviously what's on your TV. What's on your feed? Who are you keeping up with? Who's keeping up with you? What goes into your heart comes from what you do in your alone times. When only God is watching. You like how I said that? When only God is watching. Not when nobody's watching. See, that's been your fault. You fail to recognize God has been watching. And again, when you appear guilty before men, when they take a case against you and they take it to the court and you're going to be fine, you're going to pay all when it's man's jurisdiction, how much more is God seeing and recognizing what you're doing when no man knows? And you know what triggers your lust. You know what sets you off. You know what gets you going. So when he says, if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. He is saying, whatever you need to do, whatever you need to change, do it. So that those triggers don't get you acting or setting up yourself for acting on the lust. Whatever you need to do, whatever you need to put in place... Let me tell you this. Let me tell you one thing that, that uh, children don't like parents about. They don't like parents about curfew and bedtime. But I want you to know there's some nasty stuff that goes on at night. There's some stuff that goes into the heart of men at night that sets them up for a lewd act later on. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be next week. It may not be next month. And you might be going to church today. You might be going to church tomorrow. You might be going to church for the next few weeks. But it's setting you up. That when the opportunity comes, and after it's over, you'll say, how did I get here? Thank God for mamas and papas that set up the curfew. Because those who drink, it used to be this way. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. I'm going to go back to old Houdini song. See, that was my error. The freaks come out at night. I can hear the beat right now. The freaks come out at night. The freaks come out at night. That was not a Christian song, but it was on point. The world knows it. You want to get freaky? All the freaky stuff goes on at night. You mad about it. Can I stay up? You don't need to stay up. It is better... To enter into life never having stayed up. Then to go to death and have all the stay up you wanted to have. Some of you need to just turn your devices off. Hallelujah. See, because when it comes to those triggers, sometimes those triggers are people. You know the whoremongers. You know the booty calls. But you still receive them. You still take them. The kingdom is worth the sacrifice. We got to move forward, people. <laughs> 
So you might say you don't have sex outside of marriage. And you might say you don't stare. But again, the point is not to look. <laughs> See, because some people will say this and they'll try to justify themselves by these scriptures. And you miss the point. There's no justifying yourselves before God because you are guilty. You didn't look, but you played the movies in your mind. Ooh, I'm sorry. I'm, 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 that, that, that is something else. You see, because again, it's a setup. There are things that have been put in your imagination. And your imagination is running wild. Even though you haven't glanced at, even though you haven't looked at ladies. Even though you haven't looked at men. But you're playing all these things in your mind and it ain't right. You're guilty. The law is the righteous standard of God. And you're guilty. But the order of the kingdom is not the law. It is righteousness. Oh, that is good. See, because every preacher is guilty. But they don't preach because they're guilty. They preach because the order of the kingdom is not the law. It is righteousness. And they're glad about it. Verse 31. See, I told you, watch me. <laughs> it hath been said... Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. Now, I will have you to know, so this makes it plain before us. He's not talking about the law of Moses explicitly. I'm sorry, let me say it. He's not talking about the law of God explicitly. Because he lets us know in another place, it was suffered to allow you to write the bill of divorcement. So he's letting them know you've taken the law and you've gone to a different place with it. So it hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. So let's say that you claim you never cheated on your spouse. But you got a divorce. Do you understand the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law is not that you come out justified. The purpose of the law is that you come out guilty. This is still about the condition of the heart. So the subject here, which is interesting, is still adultery. <laughs> Did you catch that? I know that we separate and say, now, this is about divorce. No, it's still about adultery. So he goes from what is obviously adultery, beginning in the heart. And it seems like it's a different subject. And you may have said, I don't lust after, let's say if you're a man, I don't lust after other women. If you're a woman, I don't lust after other men. But maybe you put away your spouse for anything other than fornication. Do you see this? He, you're saying, okay, okay, so, 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 all right, so you say I didn't get you at that last one. All right, so, so you didn't commit adultery, but you put away your spouse. You're guilty. I'm, this is carpet bombing, isn't it? Oh, he's, he's going to get you. So 
So you're no more righteous by works if you put away your spouse than a wandering eye. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sorry, but this is interesting to me because when he says this, you know, we try to tiptoe around this and, and try to say things about this is not a teaching on marriage. It's not a teaching on divorce. Do you know God doesn't teach on divorce? Now, we can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and find out what is said about it. But, but do you know he, he, doesn't, he does not teach on divorce? He teaches on the sanctity of marriage. He teaches that what God has put together, let not man put asunder. So if there's any divorce going on, something is wrong. Oh, you didn't get, you didn't get that. Listen to what he's saying. Pay attention to this. I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication. So if fornication happens, you put away your wife, that's wrong. Because fornication happened. Fornication didn't happen and you put away your wife, that's wrong. Because fornication didn't happen. You're guilty. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, cause of her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. It's like you, you just, you're wrong one way or the other. You're not going to get out of saying I'm justified. I'm, I'm clean according to his law. The order of the kingdom is righteousness. Not the law. You don't enter into the kingdom because you kept the law. The law wasn't given so that you would keep it. The law was given because you couldn't. And sin was supposed to appear exceedingly sinful. Mouths were supposed to stop. The world is supposed to come guilty before God, but you've justified yourselves with the law. This is not acceptable before God. Because if you justify yourself by the law, where therein is grace. Where is it then? There's no need. But if you've come guilty before God... Then you look for grace. Because your deeds fail. Your deeds come sharp. He's still speaking to the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And I want you to understand the idea is that the popular practice regarding marriage and divorce is not according to a righteous standard. The ability to get a bill of divorce does not mean it is right to do so. The righteous have to look past the law and seek for righteousness. So Jesus' point here is not to give you an occasion for divorce. Because some people come, well, fornication was done, so I'm at my rights to get a divorce. In all honesty, listen to me. Listen to me. God does not like someone committing fornication. Therefore, he does not like divorce. Does that not make sense to you? So he's not trying to give you an excuse or reason to get a divorce. You're going to get a divorce one way or the other. That's why he suffered it to be there. But he wants you to know, I'm not right with divorce. Something's wrong when divorce is happening. Well, I wasn't a guilty party, but that still does not make up for divorce is not the will of God. 
and you got to take this very carefully. Neither is you being abused, the will of God. So I'm not saying you can't get divorced. What I'm giving you is that divorce is a sign to us that something's wrong in our hearts. So his point is not to give you an occasion for divorce, but just as the righteous should not be constantly in court, neither should it be said about us that we get in and out of marriage. And I know, I know, we got people out there who are on the second marriage, maybe the third marriage, and you're a believer. The law is the righteous standard of God. And you're guilty. Why are you picking on me? No, no, you, you, you missed this whole point. The world becomes guilty before God. That's the point. And when you become guilty before God, you know, I wrote some scriptures down, and, and you've got to see this, because this is, this is wonderful to me. This is just beautiful. See, because he shows us the deepness of sin. And if sin is so deep, how great is our justification? We're guilty. Now you get to start to see the greatness of our salvation. And the power of his grace. This is when you start to understand. See, because I believe that this was in some people's mind as they were actually hearing him deliver this message. I believe they hear David say, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Whose sin is covered. Oh, no, no, you didn't catch that, did you? He started with blessed are. And so here they, they come face to face with the law. Oh, you don't, oh my goodness, oh, I, this, this gets me every time. One of my favorite passages is in Nehemiah. I, I told you, it's, it's, you know, I got a top 100 at least, right? It's up there. But in that passage, Ezra is one of the priests, gives them the law. He teaches them the law. And you know what happens when they hear the law? They mourn. Why? Because they became guilty before God. But they stopped the people and said, no, it's not time to mourn. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Wow. Hallelujah. So I believe they heard in their mind, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit is no guile. Why is that man blessed? Because he was guilty. But God has forgiven. And then you don't hear this? If the Son makes you free, then you shall be free. Indeed. Oh, and then there's Romans. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. See, because by the law of the sin and death, I had no case to enter into the kingdom. But now... Having received from him by faith, there's no condemnation. Then Ephesians 2 and 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, 
for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ by grace are you saved didn't deserve it but by grace you are saved and then of course Romans 5 and 20 moreover the law entered that the offense may abound but where sin did abound I don't care how deep that sin was grace is greater and grace did much more abound you see when we come, become guilty before God and we're the blessed we're those who are poor in spirit we're those who mourn yours is the kingdom of heaven because the law is God's righteous standard and you're guilty but the order of the kingdom is not the law which we didn't keep it is righteousness which we have by faith This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.